0: Hello and welcome to our new episode of Risk and Regulation Unraveled, Grant Thornton's financial services podcast. The podcast that brings you conversations about the dynamic world of risk and regulation. We help our financial services clients understand new developments, upcoming changes and help them stay ahead of the curve by inviting renowned experts to share their insights. I'm Alex Ellerton, I'm a partner in the financial services group at Grant Thornton and I'm your host for this episode. The financial services industry plays a central role in a world and economy that are living through interesting times with all the upheaval and uncertainties that this brings governments central banks and regulators look to effective regulation and risk management across the industry to ensure a stable base to drive growth for society and by implication for the financial services industry itself Our podcast series will delve into the key trends and challenges for financial services. And in in this episode, we take an in-depth look at the current key themes in the investment management sector. So joining me today, please will you welcome to the podcast my co-hosts, David Moray and Jonathan Charles. Hello, Alex.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: David is a partner in the financial services group and Jonathan is a director in our financial services group, both of whom are working with our clients on all of the key things that we're going to talk about today. So without further ado, let's dive straight into the conversation. And I think, David, I'll come to you first. Um, One of the key things that everybody's talking about over the last few years um, has been consumer duty. Uh, We are now six months into the world of consumer duty, and I'm keen to get your view on how the industry has coped with and reacted to the new framework and what uh, your key reflections are as we move to uh implementation programs uh and and they go into business as usual activity
2: yeah i think so well the industry's done the easy bit um obviously consumer duty applies to managers that have a retail footprint which is not not all investment managers clearly um but uh but for those that that, that, that do it's obviously been a significant change uh, a lot of work has been done um i think the um the rubber hasn't yet really hit the road in terms of its impact on um, fee charging structures. There are early signs, uh, mainly through FCA outreach around wealth management charges, around things like the the the, the, the interest rate take that investment platforms have um, have been taking in some cases on on client cash. Um, but really those are just s- symptomatic of what I would expect to be a wider focus from the regulator we're already seeing actually in other in other sectors, so general insurance, motor finance, you know, they're all being asked the what, what value do you provide for the fees you charge question, and being asked to justify the level of fees in in a way that the traditional percentage of AUM fee charging structures that, that the industry has, has known and loved for forever don't really lend themselves to to to, to, to explaining uh, explaining away. So it's Hard to imagine that we aren't going to get more questions, more challenges over time from the regulator on fee charging structures, and um, it's hard to imagine that fee charging structures that, that aren't based on some kind of more or less bottom-up assessment of what the actual cost to serve is are going to be allowed to going to be allowed to uh, um, be maintained. So I think that's that's quite a disruptive effect that we haven't really felt yet. Um, more operationally, you know, I think the big, the one big area that Investment managers, like other sectors, actually are uh, lagging behind on is, is building the the MI suites um, to support the consumer duty monitoring. Um, you know they've gone they've gone through the exercise of understanding customer journeys, identifying good outcomes, um, identifying foreseeable harms within those journeys. Ultimately, there's a the, the 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 MI frameworks need to line up behind those. So the uh, the boards obviously we've got a first ever board report on. Consumer duty compliance is going to be due in the summer uh, for all, all, all investment managers, and and, and you know the, the ability for the board to leverage relevant MI to to, to complete that report um, is, is, is is going to be challenging for a lot of organisations, and I think we're going to um, see a lot more work
0: around MI in the coming years. Jonathan, does that chime with all the experience that you've had with your clients over the last few months?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think. Um we've seen some supervisory activity around um other thematic areas but with with the consumer duty lens now very much front and centre which um as you you would expect but is is providing a kind of a different way of looking at things particularly when we look at um skilled person requirement notices it's been quite interesting and also that to the data point you know there are some quite um whizzy attractive looking consumer duty dashboards being presented to to boards and committees now which you know is is very much a positive but I think the the, the follow-up question that the FCA is asking and the firms should be asking themselves is okay great the, the dashboard is looks great but how are we getting comfortable around the accuracy of the data that's feeding into that dashboard and also you know the the perennial what so what question on you know if you've got uh, a red flashing uh, metric or an amber metric trend into red what does that mean from a from an outcomes perspective and, and what are you doing about it as a firm to to reverse that trend
0: Jonathan you, you use the word whizzy there um so yep. sticking sticking with that theme um and I guess as we move further into 2024, um, a question that we're often asked um, by, by everybody in financial services is, is what's going on in terms of artificial intelligence? Um, we know that AI and generative AI will undoubtedly play a, um, sing, a more significant role um, in, in the sector going forwards, and there's obviously some really uh, key benefits there, uh, but also some risks to go to go alongside that in terms of adopting AI. Um, so how, how are you seeing those things being managed
1: together? Yeah, that's, yeah, wizzy is the technical term for um, AI, I think we use internally. Um, so we we talked a bit about AI in our um, outlook for 2023, and, and actually things haven't moved on significantly since then. So the conversations we're having with clients, you know, it, it is obviously on the agenda and some firms are setting up things like AI forums and committees, uh, reasonably senior level, to start thinking about, what they do with artificial intelligence and and, uh, kind of robotics and automation of controls. But there hasn't really been a significant jump off yet from any of our um, clients really in in, in implementing AI tools over and above what we see come out as part of the Microsoft suite. So that, you know, those tools are interesting, but the kind of real big game-changing AI solutions around things like surveillance or portfolio risk management or internal or external red reporting we haven't necessarily seen the shift yet so um i think that is something to look out for in 2024 i think the 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 kind of cost optimization programs that are in the press for lots of the sector and which you know are essential really for continued profitability and financial resilience um the the sort of the, the biggest potential um, benefit from AI, I think, is in the overall reduction of cost whilst maintaining a kind of effective risk management and control environment. I think that's where we will see the most benefit to our um, sector colleagues. And, and
0: David, as, as the person that I look to on any early adopter of technology and gadgets, you must have some very strong views on this, surely. What, what, what do you, How do you see it? Well, I'm, I'm
2: conscious that in, in last year's uh, discussion on this subject, in the same podcast, I, I, I was reflecting on my AI girlfriend and, and, and how that was changing my life. Um, uh, so I, I've obviously been told not to go down the same route this time. Um, yes, I mean I, I, this is this fear of missing out on display to a massive extent. Um, uh, everyone's nervous uh, and exploring what might be, they are the possible. Um, might be around AI, but they're also terrified that they're going to wake up one morning and find that all their competitors have raced ahead of them. Um, so uh, uh, I, I expect quite a lot of spending um, in this area, um, inspired by that, by, by, by yeah, the opportunity, but also the, 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 the concern about missing out. Um, inevitably, like all uh, all similar waves of technology, not not every new initiative is going to work out. It's not all going to pay off. Um, so we're going to see our fair share of hits and misses, but uh, you know there, there is there is there is no obvious alternative but to uh, but to try and um, seek some 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 benefit or at least at least a hygiene factor of not falling behind from uh, from
0: this new area of technology. And in the meantime, plenty to keep us all engaged and talking about. So uh, yeah, let's watch this space on that. Um, another thing that um, everyone wants to talk about, David, is, is sustainability. Um, And so thinking about that from a sustainable investments perspective and the push towards more environmentally and socially responsible investments, um, what are we seeing firms considering there? What are you talking to them about? So, I
2: I mean, this is a fascinating area, Um, a a more uh, complicated or nuanced area probably than it it has been for the last last few years. Um, I mean, there are you know there's were, there were, there were some tangible things to do so uh in the uk the sustainability disclosures requirements are coming into force you know you're gonna be able to use new labels from from the start of uh some i think some of this this year um so if you want to you know claim sustainable uh, status for your fund you're gonna have to use one of the labels you're gonna have to meet those sets of criteria to support it so so there's a there's an exercise to be done by organizations to understand um you know which of their funds might qualify they need to develop standards to 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 to, to support the, the ratings that they're being used or the labels that are being used so there's quite a lot to do there um not probably help by the fact that you know the uk requirements are similarish but you know, different enough from the same sort of requirements in in the EU and and uh, the same sort of requirements in the US, for instance, as an example, you know, for a UK fund to qualify for sustainability uh, label, seventy um, percent of its content by investment value needs to be of a you know of a, of a of a type that meets that that label criteria, whereas in the EU the same ratio the same level is eighty percent. So you know we've got we've got we've got differences. So so for any manager that's managing funds across different jurisdictions they've potentially got some got some uh, inconsistencies to, to to contend with there. so so there's a, the practicalities of implementation. I think there will be a lot of a lot of uh, again uh, or a bit like AI you know looking at what other organizations are doing, how they're choosing to label their funds or are they not choosing to label their funds and and um, re- re- responding uh, a- accordingly um it remains to be seen essentially you know j- just how many funds end up qualifying for these labels uh so that, that's a, that's a bit of micro uncertainty and everyone will have some work to do there i think the, the bigger uncertainty the much wider uncertainty is um it is caused by some of the negative investment flows and relative poor performance around sustainable or green funds over the last year or two um I mean, as long as I can remember, there's 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 been you know uh, uh, there's a been a debate about whether sustainable funds would remain attractive to investors even if performance was was not as good as it has been historically. You know, would investors r- remain committed because they want to do good as well as um, as well as obviously see their money grow? Um, and if that doesn't hold true, um, then uh, and then um, you know. The, how significant sustainable investing is going to be as, a, as an attractive asset class for investors becomes becomes a bit more debatable. And, and we have, as, as I said, seen some quite significant negative outflows, which suggests that you know maybe maybe investors are not willing to sacrifice too much upside in order to have green credentials. Um, so we've got now got that uncertainty, I think, being mixed in about just 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 how attractive this is as an asset class. And um, shall we say some political uh changes uh that, that, that may or may not play out we're going into election year we may end up with some um some more climate skeptical policies uh finding their way into some governments in some jurisdictions um and uh you know i think that again that more from an international point of view rather than the uk but that that that's that's potentially going to make it more of a, a more complex decision for firms about just how heavily they move to or transition
0: towards sustainable investing so it sounds like it's coming to uh, crunch time Jonathan
1: yeah I think so and and you know that yeah as David said there has been some reasonably significant outflows I wonder whether there's a potential you know it's a bit futurist but um, kind of generational behavioral characteristics of as you know a younger generation of people move into investing in funds and Assets more generally, they they might have a bit of a stickier um, attitude to sustainable and green investments, despite relative underperformance against benchmarks. Pure speculation, but you know there there may be something there. But yeah, as, as David said, there there is the, the very real potential of some more climate sceptic uh, policymaking being um, introduced in in 2024 and beyond.
0: And, and staying with that speculation theme and, and, and looking to the future, um, I know you're a fan of the uh, macroeconomic side of things, uh, Jonathan. <laughs> so um, but when you look at investment management from that broader perspective, um, and we think about the industry from, from a macroeconomic point of view, um, frankly, we're looking into a year that's going to see potentially some pretty long-term impacts, um, both in terms of the political arena, the overall economy um what how does that translate and trickle through to investment management what, what are we going to see in the subsector as a result of that do you think
1: um yes i get to channel my inner uh the rest is politics viewpoints <laughs> um on, on this podcast um so yeah there, there, there obviously are some some pretty critical global elections coming up in 2024 obviously we're expecting a uk election and um most money is on a Labour government. Um, uh, following that, uh, Keir Starmer announced that the 28 billion green plan that they they had is is likely to be um, much reduced. But um, you can still imagine that there would be some sustainable uh, objectives in in the Labour manifestos. I think that there are some different global elections that may have an impact on that. Obviously, there's um, the Indian general election, although um, I imagine there's unlikely to be a change in leader there. Similar, there is the Russian election. I think that is a reasonably predictable outcome um, for for Mr Putin. But yeah, the, the US election, I think, is probably the one that is of most interest for global politics generally, but also the kind of investment management sector and the volatility that might be generated from a, a Trump victory, which seems more and more likely as as the months roll on. Um, we spoke to a, a, a client of ours towards the end of last year, and and he said that um they'd man they'd had to kind of navigate probably five or six one in two hundred year events in the last eighteen months, and it, uh, so had actually learned a lot from that and the the kind of operational and financial resilience of their organisation was actually much better for having gone through those kind of events and and, and and problems and i guess that is um a potential for 2024 as well with some uh, reasonable market volatility expected off the back of election results but i think people can take comfort that you know a a russian invasion of ukraine um the the energy crisis the trusts uh, mini budget and other um issues in, you know silicon valley bank um going pop those sorts of issues have been navigated pretty well actually by our sector so, so there's some confidence that anything that is thrown at it in 2024 including election results um some volatility in interest rates or the you know even the the kind of the issues in the um in the in the middle east will hopefully be kind of you know something that our sector is is reasonably well placed to to manage
0: and David uncertainty being something that investment management thrives on potentially
2: Uh, yeah no absolutely yeah uh, the 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 prospect of volatility I mean not 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 not, not for every strategy clearly but by and large volatility is a is a is a win for the um, investment management sector particularly uh, 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 well, debate, but, uh, but historically, particularly for active managers who are obviously under a lot of pressure from uh, passive alternatives, cheaper uh alternatives. So, 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 yes, uh, I don't, I don't think the investment management industry um is uh going to be carried by the prospect of of um of volatility, even if it's generated by political um uncertainty. I think uh, I think the the legal uncertainty that might change follow of, follow of political change i.e you know government policy changing um you know that that would be that, that would be uh, more of a concern but it's also much harder to predict at this point where where we are in the election cycles um makes it harder to yeah hard, 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 hard to translate often what uh, perspective uh, uh uh leaders and and parties uh, political parties are saying about their intentions you know and what they actually do in practice shockingly I know it doesn't always line up uh, doesn't hmm. always line up entirely so um no no nobody's saying to any anything at the moment to to make the investment manager industry feel fear for its future
0: and looking at that future um so we're clearly at a critical point um here on 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 future proofing and um yeah. The financial landscape that continues to evolve, all of the politics and 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 technology developments that we've just talked about as well. Um, so, from from your perspective, how can firms ensure that that long term growth <laughs> is at the forefront of their planning? And and what are you expecting firms to be looking at as they as they prepare into even next year, twenty
2: twenty five? So there were, um uh, yeah that's that's a pretty big subject. There's clearly some things that are nearer term and some things that are longer term. Obviously, less certain because they're longer term. You know, one thing we've been talking about for, for a while is the expectation that, that that crypto becomes a mainstream asset class. You know, lives a mainstream asset class because investors are expecting to see see managers manage portfolios. Then, then there's going to need to be a build around capability for for for, for managers to 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 offer, to offer that asset class. And it was Jonathan earlier, you were talking about the younger generation. Are they all going to be, you know? wedded to their sustainable funds well of course not because they're all going to be wanted wanting bitcoin aren't they and uh mm-hmm. so and, and you know the 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 the, the bitcoin etfs or sort of creeping into reality in the states i know that's that, that, that's not that's not a, that's not going to impact the uk directly but it does provide a more of a halo of credibility over over bitcoin the the uh, UK government bring, is bringing forward proposals around the regulatory framework for sta- stable coins, so you know the likes of Bitcoin in the UK. I think both both the Tories and Labour are saying they're committed to Bitcoin as a sort of central bank, a stable coin. So, so you know, it's it's hard not to see it um, becoming a mainstream asset that the the industry needs to the needs to adapt to. Beyond beyond that, and, and obviously this is much more of a um and in the wiring kind of technological change the, the 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 move to tokenize funds um and that's a global thing and and actually you know the the the, the, the what needs to happen in the uk first is the law and regulation needs to be written in a way to enable it and, and the same is true in almost every other jurisdiction except some jurisdictions are already moving you know moving moving f- faster on, on this, so you know fund tokenization offers you know much, much faster and and uh, more operationally efficient settlement options for for funds. Um, but it requires a legal framework that doesn't assume that you know trades are settled via a fax machine or, or clay tablets or, or whatever so so um it, it, nothing happens on that until 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 the law changes uh, but um but when it does, I would expect that to to happen quite quickly. I mean, they're, they're, they're moving away from technology, there's other areas, the, the future funds regime, the overseas fund regime, which is gonna make it a bit harder in the latter case for EU usits funds to get distributed directly into the UK. Um, changes to AIFMD coming up, um, potentially sort of UK versions of the usits regime coming up. Uh, you know, these are all you know areas where draft rules Need to be developed, but uh, I think probably the the single, the single most significant regulatory-driven change that I can see uh, in the longer term would be um, related to the advice guidance boundary discussion paper that the FCA put out quite recently. Um, and obviously we're talking wealth managers here, although there is a knock-on to to to, to sort of fund the providers as well. I think it, it's it's considering ways to close the advice gap, and it's considering. Uh, a, 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 a range of options, but the most significant option, I think, the option that politically will be most favoured, is is one which um, tries to make it easier for organisations to uh, recommend uh, uh, a, a products, investment and pension products, to 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 individuals in in a way that doesn't fall foul of sort of broader advice regulation. Ie, you can do it with a much lower overhead. Um, and I've seen it described as a sort of a love letter to big tech, because it's basically premised on the idea that you would use the amount of the large amount of data that you have on a on a on a customer to um, to uh, identify and and then communicate um, products, which I think air quotes here, you know, look like the sort of thing that people who look like you would 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 typically buy. Um, and, and you know that's obviously something that a, a big bank or supermarket or Amazon could do on on scale very easily. They've got the customers, they've got huge amounts of data. Um, you know, whereas for smaller players, players that don't have a such a big customer footprint, certainly um, it, it's going to be much much harder to take advantage take advantage of that. So that's as a potentially significant market disruptor. I would suggest. Yeah, that
1: comes. We we kind of circle. way back to the start of the conversation around data governance and uh data accuracy as well and i think that would be you know as you say it could it could open up a a sector for customers who are just disadvantaged and or either not able or don't have the tendency to pay for advice to, to receive some some better um some better guidance some better recommendations um but yeah, that, that obviously comes with with the risks and um, ensuring that there's control around it. You know, the, the the old Amazon: if you if you buy an ironing board, you then get recommended ironing boards every day of your life for the <laughs> next twenty years. If that is happening with financial services products, that's probably not a good outcome. And 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 when you're thinking about consumer duty, it probably doesn't um it it doesn't drive the best kind of product or or value assessments that the FCA would be looking for.
0: And Jonathan, given, given your love of the uh, perimeter guidance uh, manual, I mean, th- any change therein must must be uh, must be a feeling to you.
1: Yeah, well, um, yeah, it's, it does send shivers down my spine to say um, we'll have a kind of a, a midpoint between non-advised and advised, and and that, and how that how that will be that activity will be regulated, and how that activity will be described in the. In the rule book, particularly uh, in in Perg, as you say, I do love a bit of perimeter guidance analysis. But yeah, I think you know overall it has to be a positive to to kind of include more people in the in the kind of advice world and make sure that people's general personal financial security is 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 better managed with better access to 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 kind of professional people who who um, should know what they're doing.
0: So it feels right to me that um, we, we conclude on a point which, which makes, makes it clear that it's really important that regulators get that get that boundary right to make sure that all of this um, continues to deliver the right kind of services to uh, to, to um, investment management customers and, and firms going forwards. Um, We've 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 discussed a multitude of moving parts there and the associated risks um, with them as well, um, and uh, I'm sure we could have continued to to do so for for much longer as well. Um, so I think at that point, what remains for me to do is to say um, thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. Um, we hope that you found the insight of our expert panel um, very interesting. I know I have. Thanks to David Mori and to Jonathan Charles for your expert views. Thank you.
1: Very good. Fun. To
0: contribute and and, and and to all of our lovely listeners. And um, if you've um, if you've enjoyed this discussion, and please do subscribe to our Risk and Regulation podcast, which is available in all of the usual places that you download your podcasts. So all that it leaves for me to say is thank you and goodbye.